0: Quiet Bedtime Stories to help you fall asleep. This past Wednesday was a momentous day for Listen to Sleep. It was a momentous day for me as well. The podcast passed 1 million total downloads. Since I started this in July of 2019... A million times someone has gone to listen to an episode and hopefully most of those times found what they were looking for and fallen asleep. All of you have a part in this and I can't thank you enough. It was a nice contrast to the beginning of the week up here when we had a couple of fires pretty nearby and uh, some fire weather. You may be wondering... What is fire weather? Well, imagine rain, but fire coming from the sky. Here in Northern California, in this time of the summer, we get thunderclouds, but it's so dry that they don't rain any rain. They just rain lightning. And when the lightning hits the dry forest, it can start sometimes thousands of fires in one day. Living in the middle of the dry forest can get a little scary on those days. So, it was a week of some scary stuff and some wonderful stuff. And right now, there are no fires burning nearby where we live, although there are some very large fires burning here in California again. I hope all is well where you live, and if you are down under, I hope you are enjoying your winter. I'm actually starting to look forward to winter myself now. I know I've shared with you that one of my goals for this year with the podcast was to get it into the top 10 sleep podcasts worldwide as a personal goal for myself and as a way to help more people get better sleep. I know there are lots of sleep podcasts. I'm so glad that this podcast helps you sleep. And I want to thank all of the people who have allowed me to spend more time making it this year by supporting it. You can support the podcast for less than a dollar a month by joining the Patreon. You'll get Listen to Sleep a day earlier on Saturdays instead of Sundays, and you'll get it without any ads or the introduction. It's available at patreon.com listentosleep, or you can get more information at listentosleep.com. I want to thank everyone who joined the Patreon this week. Iris, Mylena, Charisse, Sarah, Sammy, Abby, and Alice. Thank you all so much for your support. And a quick reminder, if you aren't able to support the podcast financially, I get it. I don't ever want money to keep anyone from getting the sleep they deserve. So just drop me a line, and I can get you all set up with a subscription for as long as you need it. To celebrate a million downloads this week, we're going to go back to the book where it all started. In the Days of Giants, with another Norse tale about Thor and Loki. Let's take a deep breath. In and out. Letting go of the day, just feeling yourself sinking down into the mattress with the weight of gravity pulling you down. Let's take another deep breath in and out. Nothing to do, nowhere to go. This is your time. Time to rest. One more deep breath in with me. And out. If you get tired while I'm reading to you, that's okay. Just let yourself drift off. Thor's Visit to the Giants Nowadays, since their journey to get the stolen hammer, Thor and Loki were good friends. For Loki seemed to have turned over a new leaf and to be a very decent sort of fellow. But really, he was the same sly rascal at heart, only biding his time for mischief. However... In this tale, he behaves well enough. It was a long time since Thor had slain any giants, and he was growing restless for an adventure. Come, Loki, he said one day. Let us fare forth to Giant Island and see what news there is among the big folk. Loki laughed, saying, Let us go, Thor, I know I am safe with you, which was a piece of flattery that happened to be true. So they mounted the goat chariot, as they had done so many times before, and rumbled away out of Asgard. All day they rode, and when evening came, they stopped by a little house on the edge of a forest where lived a poor peasant with his wife, his son, and daughter. May we rest here for the night, friend, asked Thor. And noting their poverty, he added, we bring our own supper and ask but a bed to sleep in. So the peasant was glad to have them stay. Then Thor, who knew what he was about, killed and cooked his two goats, and invited the family of peasants to sup with him and Loki. But when the meal was ended, he bade them carefully save all the bones, and throw them into the goat skins, which he had laid beside the hearth. Then Thor and Loki lay down to sleep. In the morning, very early, before the rest were awake, Thor rose, and taking his hammer, Mjolnir, went into the kitchen, where were the remains of his faithful goats. Now, the magic hammer was skillful, not only to slay, but to restore when Thor's hand wielded it. He touched with it the two heaps of skin and bones, and lo, up sprang the goats, alive and well, as good as new. No, not quite as good as new. What was this? Thor roared with anger, for one of the goats was lame in one of his legs and limped sorely. Someone has meddled with the bones, he cried. Who has touched the bones that I bade be kept so carefully? Thialfi, the peasant's son, had broken one of the thigh bones in order to get at the sweet marrow. And this Thor soon discovered by the lad's guilty face. Then Thor was angry indeed. His knuckles grew white as he clenched the handle of Mjolnir, ready to hurl it and destroy the whole unlucky house and family. But the peasant and the other three fell upon their knees, trembling with fear, and begged him to spare them. They offered him all that they owned, they offered even to become his slaves, if he would but spare their wretched lives. They looked so miserable that Thor was sorry for them, and resolved at last to punish them only by taking away Thialfi, the son, and Ruskva, the daughter, thenceforth to be his servants. And this was not so bad a bargain for Thor, for Thialfi was the swiftest of foot of any man in the whole world. So he left the goats behind and fared forth with his three attendants straight towards the east and Jotunheim. Dialfi carried Thor's wallet with their scanty store of food. They crossed the sea and came at last to a great forest, through which they tramped all day, until once more it was night, and now they must find a place in which all could sleep safely until morning. They wandered about here and there, looking for some sign of a dwelling, and at last they came to a big queer-shaped house. Very queer indeed it was, for the door at one end was as broad as the house itself. They entered and lay down to sleep, but at midnight Thor was wakened by a terrible noise. The ground shook under them like an earthquake, and the house trembled as if it would fall to pieces. Thor arose and called to his companions that there was danger about, and that they must be on guard. Groping in the dark, they found a long, narrow chamber on the right, where Loki and the two peasants hid trembling, while Thor guarded the doorway, hammer in hand. All night long, The terrible noises continued, and Thor's attendants were frightened almost to death. But early in the morning, Thor stole forth to find out what it all meant. And lo, close at hand in the forest, lay an enormous giant, sound asleep and snoring loudly. Then Thor understood whence all their night's terror had proceeded. For the giant was so huge that his snoring shook even the trees of the forest and made the mountains tremble. So much the better. Here at last was a giant for Thor to tackle. He buckled his belt of power more tightly to increase his strength, and laid hold of Mjolnir to hurl it at the giant's forehead. But just at that moment, the giant waked, rose slowly to his feet, and stood staring mildly at Thor. He did not seem a fierce giant, so Thor did not kill him at once. Who are you? asked Thor sturdily. I am the giant Skrymir, little fellow, answered the stranger. And well I know who you are, Thor of Asgard. But what have you been doing with my glove? Then the giant stooped and picked up, what do you think? the queer house in which Thor and his three companions had spent the night. Loki and the two others had run out of their chamber in a fright when they felt it lifted, and their chamber was the thumb of the giant's glove. That was a giant indeed, and Thor felt sure that they must be well upon their way to giant land. When Skrymir learned where they were going, he asked if he might not wend with them, and Thor said that he was willing. Now Skrymir untied his wallet and sat down under a tree to eat his breakfast, while Thor and his party chose another place not far away for their picnic. When all had finished, the giant said, Let us put our provisions together in one bag, my friends, and I will carry it for you. This seemed fair enough, for Thor had so little food left that he was not afraid to risk losing it. So he agreed. And Skrymir tied all the provisions in his bag and strode on before them, with enormous strides, so fast that even Thialfi could scarcely keep up with him. The day passed, and late in the evening, Skrymir halted under a great oak tree, saying, Let us rest here. I must have a nap, and you must have your dinner. Here is the wallet open it and help yourselves. Then he lay down on the moss and was soon snoring lustily. Thor tried to open the wallet in vain. He could not loosen a single knot of the huge thongs that fastened it. He strained and tugged, growing angrier and redder after every useless attempt. This was too much. The giant was making him appear absurd before his servants. He seized the hammer, and bracing his feet with all his might, struck Skrymir a blow on his head. Skrymir stirred lazily, yawned, opened one eye and asked whether a leaf had fallen on his forehead and whether his companions had dined yet. Thor bit his lip with vexation, but he answered that they were ready for bed. So he and his three followers retired to rest under another oak. But Thor did not sleep that night he lay thinking how he had been put to shame and how Loki had snickered at the sight of Thor's vain struggles with the giant's wallet. And he resolved that it should not happen again. At about midnight, once more, he heard the giant's snore, resounding like thunder through the forest. Thor arose clenching Mjolnir tight, and stole over to the tree where Skrymir slept. Then, with all his might, he hurled the hammer and struck the giant on the crown of his head, so hard that the hammer sank deep into his skull. At this, the giant awoke with a start, exclaiming, What is that? Did an acorn fall on my head? What are you doing there, Thor? Thor stepped back quickly, answering that he had waked up, but that it was only midnight, so they might all sleep some hours longer. If I can only give him one more blow before morning, he thought, he will never see daylight again. So he lay watching until Skrymir had fallen asleep once more, which was near daybreak. Then Thor arose as before, and going very softly to the giant's side, smote him on the temple, so sore that the hammer sank into his skull up to the very handle. Surely he is killed now, thought Thor. But Skrymir only raised himself on his elbow, stroked his chin, and said, There are birds above me in the tree. Methinks that just now fell a feather upon my head. What, Thor, are you awake? I am afraid you slept but poorly this night. Come now. It is high time to rise and make ready for the day. You are not far from our giant city. Utgard, we call it. (laughs) I have heard you whispering together. You think that I am big. But you will see fellows taller still when you come to Utgard. And now I have a piece of advice to give you. Do not pride yourselves overmuch on your importance. The followers of Utgard's king think little of such mannequins as you, and will not bear any nonsense, I assure you. Be advised, return homeward before it is too late. If you will go on, however, your way lies there, to the eastward. Yonder is my path, over the mountains, to the north. So saying, Skrymir hoisted his wallet upon his shoulders, and turning back upon the path that led into the forest, left them staring after him, and hoping that they might never see his big bulk again. Thor and his companions journeyed on until noon, when they saw in the distance a great city on a lofty plain. As they came nearer, they found the buildings so high that the travelers had to bend back their necks in order to see the tops. This must be Utgard, the giant city, said Thor. And Utgard indeed it was. At the entrance was a great barred gate, locked so that no one might enter. It was useless to try to force a passage in. Even Thor's great strength could not move it on its hinges. But it was a giant gate, and the bars were made to keep out other giants, with no thought of folk so small as these, who now were bent upon finding entrance by one way or another. It was not dignified, and noble Thor disliked the idea. Yet it was their only way. So one by one they squeezed and wriggled between the bars until they stood in a row inside. In front of them was a wonderful great hall with the door wide open. And Thor and the three entered and found themselves in the midst of a company of giants, the very hugest. Of their kind. At the end of the hall sat the king upon an enormous throne. Thor, who had been in giant companies before now, went straight up to the throne and greeted the king with civil words. But the giant merely glanced at him with a disagreeable smile and said, It is wearying to ask travelers about their journey. Such little fellows as you four can scarcely have had any adventures worth mentioning. Stay now. Do I guess aright? Is this mannequin Thor of Asgard or no? Ah, no. I have heard of Thor's might. You cannot really be he, unless you are taller than you seem, and stronger too. Let us see what feats you and your companions can perform to amuse us. No one is allowed here who cannot excel others in some way or another. What can you do best? At this word, Loki, who had entered last, spoke up readily, There is one thing that I can do. I can eat faster than any man. For Loki was famished with hunger, and thought he saw a way to win a good meal. Then the king answered, Truly, that is a noble accomplishment of yours, If you can prove your words true, let us make the test. So he called forth from among his men Logi, whose name means fire, and bade him match his powers with the stranger. Now a trough full of meat was set upon the floor, with Loki at one end of it and the giant Logi at the other. Each began to gobble the meat as fast as he could, and it was not a pretty sight to see them. Midway in the trough they met, and at first it would seem as if neither had beaten the other. Loki had indeed done wondrous well in eating the meat from the bones so fast, but Logi the giant had in the same time eaten not only meat but bones also and had swallowed his half of the trough into the bargain. Loki was vanquished at his own game and retired looking much ashamed and disgusted. The king then pointed at Thialfi and asked what that young man could best do. Thialfi answered that of all men, he was the swiftest runner, and that he was not afraid to race with anyone whom the king might select. That is a goodly craft, said the king, smiling. But you must be a swift runner indeed, if you can win a race with my hoogie. Let us go to the racing ground. They followed him out to the plain where Hugi, whose name means thought, was ready to race with young Thialfi. In the first run, Hugi came in so far ahead that when he reached the goal, he turned about and went back to meet Thialfi. You must do better than that, Tiofi, if you hope to win, said the king, laughing. Though I must allow that no one ever before came here who could run so fast as you. They ran a second race, and this time, when Hugi reached the goal, there was a long bow shot between him and Tiofi. You are truly a good runner, exclaimed the king. I doubt not that no man can race like you. But you cannot win from my giant lad, I think. The last time shall show. Then they ran for the third time, and Tiofi put forth all his strength, speeding like the wind. But his skill was in vain. Hardly had he reached the middle of the course when he heard the shouts of the giants announcing that Hugi had won the goal. Thialfi too, was beaten at his own game, and he withdrew as Loki had done, shamefaced and sulky. There remained now only Thor to redeem the honor of his party, Thor had watched the result of these trials with surprise and anger, though he knew it was no fault of Loki or of Thialfi that they had been worsted by the giants. And Thor was resolved to better even his own former great deeds. The king called to Thor and asked him what he thought he could best do to prove himself as mighty as the stories told of him. Thor answered that he would undertake to drink more mead than any one of the king's men. At this proposal, the king laughed aloud, as if it were a giant joke. He summoned his cupbearer to fetch his horn of punishment out of which the giants were wont to drink in turn. And when they returned to the hall, the great vessel was brought to the king. When any one empties this horn at one draft, we call him a famous drinker, said the king. Some of my men empty it in two trials, but no one is so poor a manikin that he cannot empty it in three. Take the horn, Thor, and see what you can do with it. Now Thor was very thirsty, so he seized the horn eagerly. It did not seem to him so very large, for he had drunk from other mighty vessels before now. But indeed, it was deep. He raised it to his lips and took a long pull, saying to himself, There, I have emptied it already, I know. Yet when he set the horn down to see how well he had done, he found that he seemed scarcely to have drained a drop. The horn was brimming as before. The king chuckled. Well, you have drunk but little, he said. I would never have believed that famous Thor would lower the horn so soon. But doubtless you will finish all at a second draft. Instead of answering, Thor raised the horn once more to his lips, resolved to do better than before. But for some reason, the tip of the horn seemed hard to raise, and when he set the vessel down again, his heart sank, for he feared that he had drunk even less than at his first trial. Yet he had really done better, for now it was easy to carry the horn without spilling. The king smiled grimly. How now, Thor, he cried. You have left too much for your third trial. I fear you will never be able to empty the little horn in three draughts, as the least of my men can do. <laughs> You will not be thought so great a hero here as folk deem you in Asgard if you cannot play some other game more skillfully than you do this one. At this speech, Thor grew very angry. He raised the horn to his mouth and drank lustily as long as he was able. But when he looked into the horn, he found that some drops still remained. He had not been able to empty it in three drafts. Angrily, he flung down the horn and said that he would have no more of it. Ah, Master Thor, taunted the king. It is now plain that you are not so mighty as we thought you. Are you inclined to try some other feats? For, indeed, you are easily beaten at this one. I will try whatever you like, said Thor. But your horn is a wondrous one, and among the Asir, such a draft as mine would be called far from little. Come now. What game do you next propose, O king? The king thought a moment, then answered carelessly. There is a little game with which my youngsters amuse themselves. Though it is so simple as to be almost childish, it is merely the exercise of lifting my cat from the ground. I should never have dared suggest such a feat as this to you, Thor of Asgard, had I not seen that great tasks are beyond your skill. It may be that you will find this hard enough. So he spoke, smiling slyly, and at that moment there came stalking into the hall a monstrous gray cat with eyes. Of yellow fire. Ho, oh, is this the creature I am to lift? queried Thor. And when they said that it was, he seized the cat around its gray, huge body and tugged with all his might to lift it from the floor. Then the wretched cat, lengthening and lengthening, arched its back like the span of a bridge. And though Thor tugged and heaved his best, he could manage to lift but one of its huge feet off the floor. The other three remained as firmly planted as iron pillars. (laughs) Oh, laughed the king, delighted at this sight. It is just as I thought it would be. Poor little Thor. My cat is too big for him. Little I may seem in this land of monsters, cried Thor wrathfully. But now let him who dares come hither and try a hug with me. Nay, little Thor, said the king, seeking to make him yet more angry. There is not one of my men who would wrestle with you. Why, they would call it child's play, my little fellow. But for the joke of it, call in my old foster mother, Ellie. She has wrestled with and worsted many a man who seemed no weaker than you, O Thor. She shall try a fall with you. Now in came the old crone, Ellie, whose very name meant age. She was wrinkled and gray, and her back was bent nearly double with the weight of the years which she carried but she chuckled when she saw Thor standing with bared arm in the middle of the floor. Come and be thrown, dearie, she cried in her cracked voice, grinning horribly. I will not wrestle with a woman, exclaimed Thor, eyeing her with pity and disgust, for she was an ugly creature to behold. But the old woman taunted him to his face, and the giants clapped their hands, howling that he was afraid. So there was no other way but that Thor must grapple with the old giantess. The game began. Thor rushed at the old woman, and gripped her tightly in his iron arms, thinking that as soon as she screamed with the pain of his mighty hug, he would give over. But the crone seemed not to mind it at all. Indeed, the more he crushed her old ribs together, the firmer and stronger she stood. Now in her turn, the witch attempted to trip up Thor's heels and it was wonderful to see her power and agility. Thor soon began to totter, great Thor, in the hands of a poor old woman. He struggled hard. He braced himself. He turned and twisted. It was no use. The old woman's arms were as strong as knotted oak, In a few moments, Thor sank upon one knee, and that was a sign that he was beaten. The king signaled for them to stop. You need wrestle no more, Thor, he said, with a curl to his lips. We see what sort of fellow you are. I thought that old Ellie would have no difficulty in bringing to his knees him who could not lift my cat. But come now, night is almost here. We will think no more of contests. You and your companions shall sup with us as welcome guests, and bide here till the morrow. Now, as the king had pleased himself in proving How small and weak were these strangers who had come to the giant city. He became very gracious and kind. But you can fancy whether or no Thor and the others had a good appetite for the banquet where all the giants ate so merrily. You can fancy whether or no they were happy when they went to bed after the day of defeats and you can guess what sweet dreams they had. The next morning, at daybreak, the four guests arose and made ready to steal back to Asgard without attracting any more attention. For this adventure alone, of all those in which Thor had taken part, had been a disgraceful failure. Silently, and with bowed heads they were slipping away from the hall when the king himself came to them and begged them to stay. You shall not leave Utgard without breakfast, he said kindly, nor would I have you depart feeling unfriendly to me. Then he ordered a goodly breakfast for the travelers with store of choicest dainties for them to eat and drink. When the four had broken fast, he escorted them to the city gate, where they were to say farewell. But at the last moment, he turned to Thor with a sly, strange smile, and asked, Tell me now truly, Brother Thor, what think you of your visit? To the giant city. Do you feel as mighty a fellow as you did before you entered our gates? Or are you satisfied that there are folk even sturdier than yourself? At this question, Thor flushed scarlet, and the lightning flashed angrily in his eye. Briefly enough, he answered that he must confess to small pride in his last adventure, for that his visit to the king had been full of shame to the hero of Asgard. My name will become a joke among your people, quoth he. You will call me Thor, the puny little fellow, which vexes me more than anything. For I have not been wont to blush at my name. Then the king looked at him frankly, pleased with the humble manner of Thor's speech. Nay, he said slowly. Hang not your head so shamedly, brave Thor. You have not done so ill as you think. Listen, I have somewhat to tell you now that you are outside Utgard, which, if I live, you shall never enter again. Indeed, you should not have entered at all had I guessed what noble strength was really yours, strength which very nearly brought me and my whole city to destruction. To these words... Thor and his companions listened with open-mouthed astonishment. What could the king mean, they wondered. The giant continued. By magic alone were you beaten, Thor. Of magic alone were my triumphs. Not real, but seeming to be so. Do you remember the giant, Skryrmere, whom you found sleeping and snoring in the forest? That was I. I learned your errand and resolved to lower your pride. When you vainly strove to untie my wallet, you did not know that I had fastened it with invisible iron wire, in order that you might be baffled by the knots. Thrice, You struck me with your hammer. Ah, what mighty blows were those! The least one would have killed me, had it fallen on my head as you deemed it did. In my hall is a rock with three square hollows in it, one of them deeper than the others. These are the dents of your wondrous hammer, my Thor. For while you thought I slept... I slipped the rock under my hammer strokes and into this hard-crossed Mjolnir bit. Ha! <laughs> it was a pretty jest. Now, Thor's brow was growing black at this tale of the giant's trickery. But at the same time, he held up his head and seemed less ashamed of his weakness. Knowing now that it had been no weakness, but lack of guile. He listened frowningly for the rest of the tale. The king went on. When you came to my city, still it was magic that worsted your party at every turn. Loki was certainly the hungriest fellow I ever saw, and his deeds at the trencher were marvelous to behold. But the logi who ate with him was fire. And easily enough, fire can consume your meat, bones, and wood itself. Tialfi, my boy, you are a runner, swift as the wind. Never before saw I such a race as yours. But the Hoogie who ran with you was thought, my thought. And who can keep pace with the speed of winged thought. Next, Thor, it was your turn to show your might. Bravely indeed you strove. My heart is sick with envy of your strength and skill, but they availed you naught against my magic. When you drank from the long horn, thinking you had done so ill, in truth, You had performed a miracle. Never thought I to behold the like. You guessed not that the end of the horn was out in the ocean, which no one might drain dry. Yet, mighty one, the draughts you swallowed have lowered the tide upon the shore. Henceforth, at certain times, the sea will ebb, and this is by great Thor's drinking. The cat, also, which you almost lifted, it was no cat, but the great Midgard Serpent herself, who encircles the whole world. He had barely length enough for his head and tail to touch in a circle about the sea. But you raised him so high that he almost touched heaven. How terrified we were when we saw you heave one of his mighty feet from the ground. For who could tell what horror might happen had you raised him bodily? Ah, and your wrestling with old Ellie. That was the most marvelous act of all. You had nearly overthrown age itself, yet there has never lived one, nor will such ever be found whom Ellie, old age, will not cast to earth at last. So you were beaten, Thor, but by a mere trick <laughs> How angry you looked. I shall never forget. But now we must part, and I think you see that it will be best for both of us that we should not meet again. As I have done once, so can I always protect my city by magic spells. Yes, should you come again to visit us, even better prepared than now, yet, You could never do us serious harm, yet the wear and tear upon the nerves of both of us is something not lightly forgotten. He ceased, smiling pleasantly, but with a threatening look in his eye. Thor's wrath had been slowly rising during this tedious, grim speech, and he could control it no longer. Cheat and trickster, he cried. Your wiles shall avail you nothing now that I know your true self. You have put me to shame. Now my hammer shall shame you beyond all reckoning. And he raised Mjolnir. To spite the giant deathfully. But at that moment, the king faded before his very eyes. And when he turned to look for the giant city that he might destroy it, as he had so many giant dwellings, there was in the place where it had been but a broad fair plain, with no sign of any palace, wall, or gate. Utgard, had vanished. The king had kept one trick of magic for the last. Then Thor and his three companions wended their way back to Asgard. But they were slower than usual about answering questions concerning their last adventure, their wondrous visit to the giant city. Truth to tell... Magic or no magic, Thor and Loki had showed but a poor figure that day. For the first time in all their meeting with Thor, the giants had not come off any the worse for the encounter. Perhaps it was a lesson that he sorely needed. I am afraid that he was rather inclined to think well of himself, But then, he had reason, had he not? Good night.